Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Mark and Sarah talk about songs, or Mastas, as we refer to it in the house. <laughs> and by in the house, I mean on email. That was, of course, the Coffeehouse version of our theme song, recorded and written by the wonderful David Gregory Byrne. And I am thrilled to say that this, episode six of this podcast, is the first that finally lets us talk a little bit about a show tune, but a show tune that also had some crossover pop success. I will let my esteemed colleague, Sarah D. Bunting, take it away, right after I remind you, of course, that my name is Mark Blankenship. And now, Sarah Bunting. Hello, I'm Sarah D. Bunting. Thank you for that intro, Mark. Um, I think it's sort of sad. This is like the um, inverse of the situation in which I brought us our first Madonna song and talked about how much I loved that song and the entire album it came from. Now I am the one also to bring us our first show tune. Alas, my um, dislike of musicals is legend it's actually a little overblown like one time uh tara ariano my work wife at previously.tv and um non-carnal life partner was scrolling through my back then it was an ipod and she was like for someone that hates musicals you really have a lot of musicals on here and like not just a couple songs you have all of oklahoma what's your problem <laughs> i do have all of oklahoma it's it's a pretty good show it's not You're perfect. Like However, Annie. oh boy, I am actually just a girl who can't say no as a member <laughs> in the men's room. But today we are talking about Jesus Christ Superstar, which is a show that I think I saw every production that Paper Mill Playhouse put on. Sure. Spoiler. So thirty-six it's a lot. productions they, then. Yeah, they do it like twice a year. Um, they it's a show that we listen to in the car like my dad jury rigged some way to record the like physical lp onto a blank cassette that we listen to in the car and i like the show generally but first of all this is one of um i'm sure a legion of examples uh from popular music in which the devil the devil's virgin or his musicality is superior to the so-called good guys. Uh, opposite, <laughs> the devil went down to Georgia. There's fucking no way that uh, Johnny wins that face-off. Well, Lord, you alone. just explained the problem with rock and roll music. The devil is the tempter, and he uses the chords and beats of rock and roll to get the souls. Mm-hmm. In his tight pants and his Robert Johnson soul-stealing no, Bad. I can't imagine it. Those tight pants. Oh, my Lord. I've sinned. I've sinned. The devil needs a haircut. I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> but it's also like uh, Judas is like always a sort of more appealing and like has better songs in Jesus Christ Superstar. But we're not talking about his songs. We're talking about I Don't Know How to Love Him. Specifically, the Yvonne Elliman version, which I did not know that that was her. Mm -hmm. And I did not know that she and Helen Reddy had versions of this on the charts at the same time. Oh, yes, ma'am, Pam. Here's what I do know. They were on the charts. I think I was not even in utero. I think I was still an egg. 
and perhaps <laughs> progressing towards being in uh, in utero. But my mother has always hated this song. She's hated everything that it ever stood for. Uh, we're going to listen to a little of it right now, and then I will explain my loathing. ways about the flute um but mostly my issue with it like first of all he's not just a man i guess she maybe doesn't know that at this point in the story but but there's just something about and here is my mother's grounds for um loathing it and once she pointed this out i could never not notice it like the the whole point of mary magdalene like biblically, dramaturgically speaking, is that, um, is the transformative power of belief as given to her by Jesus for her to change her life and sort of, um, be absolved of her sin, like that Mm. you can sort of hold those two concepts in your mind at the same time, that you have sinned, but you are still worthy of absolution and forgiveness. Woman, go forth and sin no more, et cetera, and so on. But this take on it in which her love for Jesus is unrequited like it's whatever Jesus's creek and the ugh, like there's just something about like this was a small businesswoman she had met plenty of men she was like on on top of it and then she meets Jesus and she realizes that her whole like life's concept has been a syntastic lie and there's just something about that that I don't care for like how come I mean, I guess some of the apostles get simpery songs about how awesome he is, but my mother just could never, could never hang with the fact that this alluring and previously powerful, um, previously powerful small businesswoman had turned into a like simpering whinge clown, thanks to meeting <laughs> that pinko JC. Um, don't like it. I don't. It's like, I th- and you can tell me if I'm correct about this. I think that this kind of song for like the female lead or one of the female co-leads in a, you know, romantic 
setting in uh, in musical theater. This is like a pretty standard solo for her and that it's kind of, you know, mocky and that's a little bit the point of it. But this particular one, I cannot deal. And according to my mother, this song was on the radio everywhere for months and you couldn't get away from it. My research suggests that that's not necessarily true and that she just really hated it. Um, and so she feels like it was everywhere. Kind of like that terrible um, Starship song that was on the Mannequin soundtrack that is in all our bone marrow now. But um, I would like to get your take on this huh. song because I think this is just a, you know, it's partly a matter of subjective taste, but I think that you might be able to bring some context to this um horrible earwig of loathing that um, is apparently a genetically loathed thing in the Enmeyer Bunting family. Mark, convince me. Well, first of all, I cannot disagree. I cannot disagree, honestly, with your mother's take on the song. That it is kind of a moment where a previously powerful woman realizes that she's got to go ahead and become a mess because she's met that that first mm-hmm. good man who like finally just basically like just banged it right is kind of how I've always thought it comes across. Like, like JC hit it just right. And now she don't know what to do. He didn't even. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like that episode of the golden girls where, um, Blanche meets this guy who won't sleep with her. And she spends the whole episode insisting that they sleep together. And he keeps refusing. And he says, I just want to get to know you better. And then one of the other ladies asks Blanche how that made her feel. And then Blanche says, like a lady. And I've always hated that episode because it seems like to completely sell out Blanche. Like, why is she suddenly glad that she's not being treated like a sexual being when for her entire lifespan on the show, her sexuality was a source of her own power and it was not something to be ashamed of. And I kind of feel like in a way that's what, happens to Mary Magdalene in this show. Although it, then it's like she does get to sort of be power, not powerful, but she gets to be at least resilient throughout the rest of the show. But I, I, that being said, I don't disagree with any of that. I also feel like that we need to point out, I had forgotten because I hadn't really watched this movie clip in a long time. We, we watched a clip from the movie, which also stars Yvonne Element <laughs> when we were doing the research Oof. for the song. Homegirl overacts like, yeah. yeah. Like, I didn't... My facial expression needs to be seen from space. I think I need that... I need to make sure that God in heaven can see what I look like when I'm emoting about his son. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And to be quite frankly... To be quite frank with you, she has what I would call a liberal relationship with pitch in this movie slash performance. And I just feel like... You get so used to everything being pitch, pitch corrected on the radio now that you forget, like, oh, snap. There used to be a lot of people who had hit songs that maybe didn't well, sound Well, that great. could be okay. Like, like, that was always sort of a thing that I thought about American Idol. Like, you can definitely hear Element in a couple of spots, like, swooping up to, like, please let me get it, <laughs> like, climbing as fast as she can. And the Helen Reddy version is less that, but her voice is also a little thinner, I think, than elements. And it's just a different, right. like the arrangement is slightly more stripped down, ergo even more 
simpery. Like, I think Element cuts the saccharin a little bit. But you're absolutely right, right that she is, like, giving you so many faces at 11. Like, it's the movies. Face, face, like you don't, beauty face. There aren't any cheap seats. They're all kind of the same. Like, you're <laughs> right. two stories tall. Chill it out. Um, but... And, you know, I wonder, she, before she made this movie, she had made the concert recording, this, like, sort of conceptual concept album, and then she had also starred in the show on stage. I wonder if the staginess of her performance was too much in her to get it out for the film version. Yeah, that's oh, possible. Anyway, I mean, know. I didn't have a problem but... with it being a little, you know, ratchet, uh, pitch-wise, because I think right. that sometimes <laughs> that can be... At, like not an indicator of feeling but that when a performance is imperfect it's like kelly crying on uh, we keep coming back to idol but it was like her crying in her like command performance towards the end there oh that it was piece by piece amazing. yeah she i mean it was very affecting and she was affected by it and clearly was um compelled by the situation and the song and everything together and sometimes that can be very charming and preferable to it being kind of like right. this perfect auto-tuned egg of a thing. but Well, fair enough. But I will say, so here's the thing. I, uh, again, I can't even really disagree with you on any of that. But because this, neither of the simultaneously charting versions of the song are the version that I first really knew. So I have, I think, a completely different relationship to this song. Because you like the Mel C version? Just kidding. I oh! Just found out that that's a thing. I didn't even know that <gasps> existed until that we were doing this research. Oh. Um, but I, the first version of this song, I mean, this is one of those songs that you kind of always know, like, because it's just how life works. This song is just around. And of course, I was vaguely aware of it. But it wasn't until that's I so heard. That's so true. That's really deep. I like that. <laughs> but it wasn't until I heard this song as part of a medley on a PBS special called My Favorite Broadway, The Leading Ladies, that I really became truly aware of it. And let me back up and explain a little bit what this is. Uh, My Favorite Broadway, The Leading Ladies, was a PBS special hosted by Julie Andrews, who did not sing because her voice was all fucked up at the time, and it continues to be. National tragedy, international tragedy. But they had a variety of ladies coming out and singing uh, musical theater songs, like uh, Leah Delaria sings I Can Cook Too from uh, On the Town. And wow. there's just like tons of famous ladies from the late 90s. And then there's this medley, which is hilarious uh, when you think about who's in it. The medley is it's the Andrew Lloyd Webber medley. And the three, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and that alone, right? But yeah, the, the the three ladies are Audra McDonald singing Love Changes Everything from Aspects of Love, Marin Maisie singing Unexpected Song from Song and Dance, and Judy Kuhn, who's currently in Fun Home on Broadway, singing I Don't Know How to Love Him. And it's really funny now to think that Audra McDonald was ever in a medley with two other people when obviously if they were to do this today, she would like ride in on Carrie Underwood and then get to sing 45 minutes by herself. And if you wanted to hear that, you would have to pay an additional $45 to PBS. But at the time they did this medley Sold. and then and exactly. And I just want to let's play let's just listen to a little snippet of the way that this song goes down in that particular medley. Whatever they do. 
Oh my god. Okay, if you have never heard this entire seven and a half minute medley before, let me just tell you that that is an indication of the level of diva glitter tacky glory that you're going to get. And I have often said, if you don't start listening to that song, Gay, you will be gay by the time it is over. Because let me guarantee you that the last 45 seconds, it is capital H level hollering, like, all of these notes are sung beautifully, and they just all sound amazing. And, and if you watch the video, they're all in these glorious dresses. And I swear to God, if like you played this medley, including that last crescendo at the end, on the floor of the North Carolina Senate, every senator would be like, girl, use the bathroom where you want to use the bathroom. I don't care. Because that oh is God. what this Let's song Let's try does. it. Let's try it. I know. Why not? Um, Something's got to so, work. So Fools. for me, I don't even have any sort of intellectual capacity to be calm about this song because I just relate it to being part of this medley and it's just so over the top and wonderful. And like, I totally intellectually grasp that it's a kind of a, you know what? I just actually think it's very pretty. I think the melody is very pretty. It's very earwiggy, as you said, but it is like a simpering song. It's kind of like uh, Nancy's song, as long as he needs me in Oliver or, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's just there are songs like this all over the place in the music. Right, but this is what I was saying before, and what you were saying before. Yeah, that this song like is this song is like a supporting beam. Exactly. Building of a musical. So, although apparently this was adapted from another song called Kansas Morning, or like it is Kansas Morning, and they bought the rights to it and then just hacked it so it'd be this song. So I'll I'll try to track down some version of some recording of that and see if we can insert it into uh, the proceedings just to see what it used to be like. Sure. Well, here's, but here's what I'll say. So while I do understand and, and agree with a lot of the arguments that you and your mother are making, I have such a big gay emotional crush on the way I first really heard this song that I will always be ready to hear it. And in fact, on my walk home from work today in preparation, I listened to this whole medley and I could not help myself walking through Times Square. I just was really mouthing along and maybe have had had to throw an arm gesture in there. I just couldn't help it. Oh, but before I forget, I do want to say though, on the topic of songs, some from the perspective of Mary Magdalene, there is a song by a folk supergroup called Cry, 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 which consists of Dar Williams, Richard Schindel, and Lucy Kaplansky called The Ballad of Mary Magdalene. And it is a song that is completely different in its point of view. It's Mary Magdalene talking about how she doesn't know if she wants to trade her life for Jesus's life. And she is in love with him, but is really concerned about who she's going to become if she goes with him and gives up everything she's been. So actually, I'll we'll put this in the show notes too. The song actually kind of addresses some of the concerns that you were talking about. And I think this song that we are talking about does address them, but it is a much more, I think if this musical had been written 10 or 15 or 20 years later, there might be a different take on it. I mean, mm-hmm. I would sort of be interested in like someone doing a concept album of just like different takes on the song, like turn it into a, like turn it into a proper country song and have Dolly Parton do it and pick the banjo or like have um, the Donna's or the queers do it. And, and just do you mean punk- like keeping the same lyrics and then just changing the musical style or ad- adapting? Yeah. The just changing well? the musical style to like 
edge it up a little bit or just right. re- rethink how blichy it is. Like, whenever it would come on in the car, my mother would be singing along with it, but like this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is And we thing. would do it too, and we would be cracking up by like... 30 seconds in and she would continue doing the whole song like that and she would never break she really hated it she was committed to the bit good job mom i was you know and actually i will say that you're right that the versions from the 70s are schmaltzateria they're like pudding it's like pudding it's like a bowl of pudding yep but i and I, the reason i love the medley version is it's more like uh it's just like the song form of a boa or like a long glittery dress but you're right if you if or we like they're not a... trying to sell the concept; they're trying to sell the sound, right? So a lot of that what? other garbage is thrown out because these are divas. So you just get that good part of it. That's exactly right. And you know, I'm actually uh, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but I know that Sinead O'Connor has recorded this song, and I wonder what Sinead's version is like. It's probably less syrupy than Yvonne Elements would be my guess. Well, yes, someone who notoriously tore a picture of the Pope in half on Saturday Night Live. Probably has a slightly more acidic (laughs) take on the material. One would hope. One would hope. Well, I think that that is probably a good place to now invite all of our listeners out there to let us know what they think about this particular song or this musical or songs in musicals where women have to be really sad and just want to be there for their fellas. If you would like to give us this or any other feedback, you can send us an email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at talksongs, and we would love to hear from you. We sure would. We would also love it if you would like to buy an ad or a sponsorship of an episode of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Uh, please contact our ad department, which coincidentally is the same contact information as our editorial department, <laughs> our dramaturgical department, the housekeeping department. Uh, that's talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. Uh, we can discuss rates and how you'd like to do it. And that's uh, always a good way to contact us in any case. Next time... We will have a guest on the show. His name and is Joe also, Reed, and he's not joking yes. around. And we will also be, it'll be our first uh, audience request, I believe. Yes, indeed. Um, look out, Revenge of the 80s. It's going to be great. Here it comes. See you next time. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.